0: morning. If you have your Bibles, I ask that you take them uh, this morning and and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Let me ask you this morning, what is it that excites you the most? Now, I don't mean just one thing that that get you going, but what are the things that come to your mind that really get you excited, that really get you going? That's something I I thought about, and and this is just a, maybe a short list for me, if you will, and it'll give you some idea of the things that um, really get me excited and kind of what I'm talking about this morning. One it's knowing that I'm going to heaven, knowing that I've got an eternal home prepared for me because I place my faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and that I'm going to heaven because of that faith. Uh, two, it's knowing that God loves me unconditionally because I can do some dumb stuff sometimes. <laughs> and uh, even knowing that He still loves me, even though I mess up, He still loves me unconditionally. Three, anytime I can spend with Jamie, especially those little getaways, uh, sometimes impromptu getaways that, that we have. Spending time with family. I love spending time with family, however it is that we can get together. Something else that really gets me excited is the mountains. <laughs> I love the mountains. Being up in the mountains, the views that are there, and, and just taking in... Uh, What God has created and and just how awesome it is and and just that kind of scenery and being away from everything, uh, a slower pace and it it just, uh, it gets me excited. Going to Walmart and coming home without getting an assault charge, that is something that excites me. It's been a good day when that can happen. (laughs) Homemade Italian cream cake. Pecan pie, chocolate chip cookies, those things, they they excite me. <laughs> anytime Arkansas wins, whatever it is, the other thing that excites me almost as much is anytime that LSU or Ole Miss loses. Especially LSU, for whatever it is, even if it's tiddly wings, I don't really care as long as they lose. You know, those are those are some of the things that that excite me the most in life. But I want you to think about this question, what is it that excites God? There's a story of an incident that took place in the life of Jesus here in Mark chapter 2 and I I think it gives us some uh, clues on what gets God excited, those things that excite God because it's an interesting story that believe it or not, it it revolves around an, an invalid. It revolves around um, someone that uh, didn't have the ability to do much of anything. He's a paraplegic, more or less. In, look at Mark chapter two, beginning with verse one. We read, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there were was no more rooms, not even at the door and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now, uh, this man was called a, a paralytic, and, and because the Greek word, in essence, gives us that English word, paralytic. Um, it, it literally means to be loosed on one side, in, in other words, you don't have any control over that side, and and this man, he, he didn't have control over anything, uh, whether it's because of a, a fall, or uh, because this man was born this way, maybe he had a stroke at, at some point, whatever it is, this man was crippled, and, and didn't have control of all of his, his arms, and limbs, and things like that, you know, it... it I'm probably an awful person in the way that, that I think about this, but you, you, you tend to get the idea that maybe his arms hung beside him kind of like Christmas ornaments or or that his legs were, were kind of like spaghetti noodles. They, they just didn't work and there wasn't much support there or anything like that. Now, if he was going to get into the presence of Jesus, somebody was going to have to bring him, wasn't it? He wasn't able to do that all by himself, all alone. But we think and look at that and think that was his greatest problem, don't we? On the surface, maybe so, but there was a greater problem because even if he could have gotten up and gotten to where Jesus was, he couldn't have gotten in, could he? The house was full of people. People were jammed in the doorways. Kids were sitting in the windows. Nobody could move. And obviously, this was all pre-COVID. It was a standing room only. And this man, he couldn't stand. There wasn't any way for him to get up and stand there. This is where the story really begins. And when God really gets excited, because God gets excited, first of all, when He sees our faith. When he sees our faith, this man, he had four buddies that evidently had heard that Jesus was in town. They had heard all that Jesus had been doing. They had heard that uh, Jesus had uh, cast out a demon, had healed a, a man with an unclean spirit. They had heard that Jesus had healed others, and and, and that he, he had cleansed a leper and made him whole, so that he was able to to go to the temple now. And, and they had heard all these stories about who Jesus was, and so they were determined to get their friend to to Jesus because they knew he could help. And so we read in verse 4 here of Mark chapter 2. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him speaking of Jesus, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. You got to admire these guys for their determination. Even though they couldn't go in, they didn't just give up. They didn't just throw in the towel. They just didn't say, well, we gave the old college tribe. We did our best. Good luck, fella. <laughs> That's not what they did. And the reason why they didn't give up was this. They had faith in who Jesus was and what Jesus could do. They climbed up to the top of this house where the roof was and... In Bible days, in this particular setting, the roof was made up of dried palm branches with dirt that was laid across the beam, somewhat like tile, if you will, to kind of give you a picture there. And it was relatively easy to tear the roof off, and that's exactly what they did. The owner of the house now had a a new sunroof. Thanks to these guys, he's helping out their air conditioning during the the summer months. It probably wasn't appreciated much during the winter or during the rainy season, but that's beside the point. Just think about the faith that it took to do this on the part of these four men and this paralytic. They knew Jesus was their only answer, and they had faith that if they could just get their friend to Jesus, they could have fallen through the roof. (laughs) What they were doing, they could have fallen through, They, they could have dropped their friend down on the floor. Talk about adding insult to injury. What they did, certainly, it wasn't something that was kosher. They were at a stranger's house and they went to cutting it up. I mean, after all, de-roofing someone's house could be construed as antisocial. They didn't want to be around the people so they made a direct path to not be around the people to get to Jesus. Any way you look at it, it wasn't the best case scenario but they knew they had to get their friend there. They were going to if cutting the hole in the roof wasn't bad enough, they were going to interrupt Jesus in the middle of his sermon. <laughs> you know, I, I can. There's not a lot of things that bother me while I'm preaching, but I'm just going to say, if I'm preaching and all of a sudden I hear things going on above me and keep looking up and this hole appears and people are are coming through, that's 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 going to distract me a little bit. <laughs> But none of these things, it, it, it didn't matter to, 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 to these men. They saw their chance. They saw their opportunity. They were this close. And by faith, they took that chance believing that Jesus would take care of their friend, that Jesus would heal their friend. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I kind of love these guys for what they did and, and how they approached it. They got on top of a man's roof. They cut a hole in a man's roof and they let their friend down through the roof while church service was going on and not just any service. It was Jesus himself preaching the service. They were facing possible arrest and I'm sure some sort of lawsuit and all kinds of, of rumors and, and, and rumblings out in the community, but they were determined to get this man to Jesus. And notice how Jesus responded in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I would imagine the owner of that house is probably, probably pretty upset. As you're going to see, the the religious hypocrites that were uh, standing shoulder to shoulder there in the crowd that day, they weren't too happy about all that was transpiring either. But Jesus was excited. Why was Jesus excited? He saw real faith that day. The reason why Jesus was so excited was that he knew there was only one reason that would have motivated these four men and their friend to go through all of that trouble to get their friend to where he was. They believed Jesus could and would heal their friend. If you're a believer today, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you, to begin to to believe this, that God can use you to bring other people to Jesus Christ as well. And by the way, did you notice it was a team approach? It wasn't just the the paralytic man saying, will you guys take me Or, or hoping that something good would happen? It was a team approach. It took four men to bring this one man To Jesus Christ. And so often that's how it happens. Most people are are not brought to Jesus simply by one person. It usually is a team event. It might be one person that that leads someone there. But it's been the prayers of others. It's been the inviting of others. Paul says some plant others water. But it's God that gives the increase. It lets us know it's not just always a single event. I heard the story of a pastor he was or uh, telling the story that uh, about this individual in his church that was pretty special to him he 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 said that um this particular man was had lost his job he was on the verge of losing his family and his wife had been praying for him and, and his mother had been praying for him and and um he, uh, there was a particular coach in town that um he was a good man. He was a Christian man, and, and he was having a tough season. And, and so this gentleman thought, you know what? I'm going to call him. I'm just going to offer him some help, some encouragement, give him some direction on how to have a, a better season, what he needs to do. And, and long story short, this coach amazingly took the man's call and spent the next 45 minutes not so much talking about football and not talking about his situation the coach spent 45 minutes telling the man about Jesus. The coach, after he got off the phone with the man, he, he called um, his friends, pastor of the church, uh, that that particular church, and and told him. He said, "I've got his number. Would you care just to go by and talk to him?" And so. Uh, the pastor said he. As soon as he got off the phone with the coach, he, he called the man and set up a time to uh, to meet. And he said well, we met for lunch the next day. And and because of the prayers of his wife and, and and his mother, because of that time that the coach had spent with him on the phone, I was able to lead him to the Lord during our lunch. And, and so it's a team approach. God can use us if we're just willing. We might not be the one that that lays out the plan of salvation, but we might be the one God is using to show others what a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. And and, and you be that one that that prays and, and, and encourages, or whatever it is, it takes a team effort to bring someone to Jesus. God can use you in that way. But the second thing here that, and that we see that Jesus and God gets excited about is when he shares his forgiveness. Now, I want you to to understand how the, the shock here is really setting in. Jesus, he, he looks at this man and he simply says what? Son, your sins are forgiven. Now at least five people are maybe upset at this point. Just think about it. Think about those four friends that were up there on the roof that had gone through the crowd, that had carried this man who knows how far, had cut a hole in the the people's roof and let their friend down... And they were hot, they were sweaty, they were dirty, they were probably tired and, and facing a lawsuit. And, and, and the crowd thinks that they're just a bunch of crazies now because of what they had done to go through all this trouble, bringing this man to this healer instead of... Uh, uh, they thought they were going to a healer, and instead they're going to a preacher that says, son, your sins are forgiven. How about the paraplegic, this paralytic man? He's laying there thinking, Great, I can't walk already. And you, you just want to preach a sermon to me and tell me, Good job, good luck, your sins are forgiven. I'm here to deal with my sickness, and, and, and you're dealing with sin. Well, what's wrong with this picture here? It's what that paralytic's probably thinking. And as we're going to see, there's nothing wrong With this picture, because this man was about to learn that his greatest problem was not his sickness, it wasn't his ailment, it wasn't his infirmity, but his greatest problem was indeed his sin. Sin either had directly or indirectly caused this man's sickness. You see, uh, sickness was a symptom. Sin was a problem. And I'll explain what I mean by that here in just a little bit. This man's uh, sickness was uh, was, uh, his most pressing problem. But this man's sin was his primary problem. He thought the greatest thing Jesus can do is to heal me. And Jesus knew the greatest thing I can do for this man is save him. (laughs) The greatest need this man had was not being able to get up and to walk and to run and to work and and being healed from his sickness. It was the healing of his sin-sick soul. That was his greatest need. And and let me tell you why. Every problem we have is a symptom of of the number one problem that we all have, and that's sin. And if you want to know why uh, cancer shows up in the body and, and, and drunk drivers kill innocent people and why there's, there's pain in childbirth and, and thing, bad things happen to good people you got to go all the way back to the first three chapters of Genesis because that gives us the answer. Our problem is that we have uh, separated sin from the problem caused by sin. When life goes bad, when when things don't work out the way that we think it should, when, when things break and, and when things don't go just our way, can we be honest? Who do we blame for that? We blame others sometimes, but usually we wind up blaming who? God. I'm your child. Why'd you let this happen to me? We blame God, but it never occurs to us to blame sin. Let me put it to you this way. Sorrow and suffering and death are all caused by sin, maybe not specifically some sin that, that we've had in our own lives, but I, I want to share with you one verse of Scripture, and if you'll really hear what it says, I, I think a light is going to go off and, and come on in your heart that, uh, about a, a lot of things. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it tells us this is what happened. It says, Sin came into the world by one man, Adam. Sin... Brought death with it. Death spread to all men because all have sinned. Just very simply put, the root cause of the problem that we have, whether it's it's pollution, perversion, whatever it is, is sin. Sin is what has messed everything up. Sin is the reason people murder other people. Sin is the reason that nations war with other nations. Sin is the reason that people get sick and their problems and families and childrens rebel against their parents. Whatever it is, it all goes back. To sin. So why is it why is that important? And it's for this uh, this simple reason. If sin is our greatest problem, then forgiveness is our greatest need, isn't it? This man, he was crippled. He he was uh, primarily crippled. By sin, not necessarily his own sin, but by sin. Jesus loved him too much to deal with just his symptom. He wanted to deal with his problem as well. He, He gave him the greatest gift that he could ever give to anyone. He gave him complete and total forgiveness. Whenever someone understands how serious sin is, And how sweet forgiveness is and comes to God and receives that forgiveness. God gets really excited. And because of that, we see one other thing that excites God. When he shows his faithfulness. Notice uh, verses uh, 6 through 8. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Now before I go on, There's a neat little lesson to take home with you today, and this one gets thrown in for free. (laughs) Never ever think to yourself around Jesus. Never think that your thoughts are yours and yours alone and nobody else hears or knows your thoughts because with Jesus, you're never thinking to yourself and by yourself and, and thinking that no one will ever know what your thoughts are. You talk about intimidation. It's not Dale Earnhardt. It's knowing that Jesus is the master mind reader. <laughs> the next time you think that you're thinking to yourself and and, well, it's not hurting anybody, listen, You've got an eavesdropper. Jesus hears and knows, and and, and he even knows why you're thinking those thoughts. If you want to add another layer to it, that's for free. Take that home and chew on that. And so, these these scribes, Pharisees, they, they thought to themselves, you can't just give a man forgiveness. You can't run around all willy nilly saying, I forgive you in God's name, you're forgiven. He's got to earn it. They're thinking he, he, he has to bring a sacrifice. He's got to pay a price for, the, for his sin. And besides that, only God can forgive him. And so they threw down the gauntlet. And Jesus picked it up. Notice what happens. Verse, start verse 9. Which is easier? This is Jesus speaking. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. You notice what Jesus does here? He uses the physical to get to the spiritual. Jesus, he, he healed the man's legs and, and his arms and whatever the man's problem truly was to prove that he could save the man's soul and forgive sin. Jesus made it a, a put up or shut up time and, and for those religious hypocrites, Jesus had put up and so they didn't have any choice but really to shut up about the matter, did they? He he, he really did ask the Question, And I want you to answer it this morning, which is easier for Jesus, to forgive a soul or to heal a body? Let me, let me put it to you this way, to heal that man's body, it, it took one breath and seven or eight words, about two to three seconds. But to forgive that man's sin, it was so much more than just those words, wasn't it? It took the blood of Jesus Christ. It took the life of Jesus Christ. It took His death, burial, and resurrection to forgive that man's sins. It took a sentence to forgive, uh, to, to, to heal that man physically. The other, the, the, the forgiveness of sins, it took His life literally. It took a moment to raise Him up from His paralytic condition... It took his life to be raised from the dead to forgive his sins. So I want to say it again. Every problem, every struggle, every illness, every heartache, every pain that you have is just a physical reminder that your greatest need is always spiritual. You see, the most of this world doesn't get that. And neither did the crowd initially. Notice what verse 12 says. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. They were so excited about the physical. But Jesus He was excited about the spiritual. They were so excited about the temporary. This man, yes, he could walk, he could live, but he was also going to die, and that physical healing was going to come to an end. But Jesus was excited about the eternal because this man, yeah, he was going to live. He was going to die. That healing was going to come to an end, but that spiritual healing that was lasting for all of eternity, and he was going to live eternally with Jesus. The the crowds, they were excited this man could now walk. Jesus was excited because this man could now worship and had reason to worship and and, and had eternity to look forward to, and an eternity in heaven. Can I tell you that's why I'm a Christian? (laughs) Christianity is the only spiritual philosophy that addresses our greatest problem, which is sin, and meets our greatest need, which is forgiveness. If my sins have been forgiven, my place is secure in heaven, and I don't have to, to uh, have fear about death. Because I I can face anything else. When I can stand before a holy and a righteous God and say, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and my faith in Him, my sins are forgiven. You know what? God gets really excited about that. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, You can bring excitement in heaven today by giving your life to him. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, keep exercising your faith. Keep bringing excitement to God. Keep bringing others to God to continue that excitement in heaven. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your throne once again and And we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the fact that we know we're sinners, but we can be forgiven. That that our greatest need is forgiveness from our sins. And dear Lord, we thank you for the fact that you do save us when we when we repent of our sins and accept you into our heart and ask you to come in and take control. And dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the eternity in heaven that waits on us when we place our faith in you. And dear Lord, we, uh, I just pray today that, that we can take this message and, and we can continue to bring excitement to your throne through sharing your gospel, through living your gospel, through living your resurrection and, and and bringing others to a saving knowledge of you. And dear Lord, I, I pray that you will use us, that you'll help us to do just that. And dear Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you today as Lord and Savior, I pray that your Your spirit will work in their hearts and in their life and, and that you'll use us to to bring another to you. All these favors and blessings we ask in your name. Amen.